And while you're doing that, I want to read something to you out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. You know, this morning my message is going to be based around the theme or the topic of spiritual maturity. We're to be believers of spiritual maturity, not infants, not babies in our faith, in our walk, but, but grown-ups, adults in that walk. And today, this morning, the Spirit desires to move within us and through us and reveal truths to us. And in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, it starts out, These things God has revealed to us through the Scripture or through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not only the Spirit of the world, not the Spirit of the world, sorry, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things which things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in the words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths for those who are spiritual. The Spirit is working and moving this morning and desiring to interpret the truths of God in our lives, desiring to minister to us and the Spirit will minister to each and every one of us in a different way. Each of us will walk out of here this morning receiving from the Lord something different than that person next to you has received because we all need something. We all need change in our lives. We all need to mature spiritually. Let us not think we have apprehended or, or we have uh, gotten to that point where we no longer need to mature or no longer need to advance in our walk with the Lord. Each and every one of us has so much more set before us, so much more growth. And this morning, we're going to be challenged with many things from the scriptures in 2 Timothy. As Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor at the time, one who was charged to establish the church of Ephesus and to recruit men who were faithful to build the church and teach God's word, you may be asking yourself, well, what does this message have to do with me? For I am not a pastor. and I don't desire to be a pastor or want to be. I'm not a leader in the church. I'm simply a Sunday school teacher. I'm simply an usher or someone who has just begun my spiritual walk in Christ. This chapter has a lot of insight, even for the lay believer for that person who has just begun their walk with Christ. To bring them from infant stage into spiritual maturity. We can all glean spiritual truths from the chapter that, we, that are pertinent in our spiritual walk as believers to cultivate maturity in our lives. So let's open up with a word of prayer this morning. And we'll get into the spiritual battle that's set before us. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. Father, first of all, we want to surrender to you, Father. All that is due you, Father God. Our hearts, our minds, our ears, our eyes, Father. That they would all be presented before you, Father. And that your spirit would wash us 
Lord, and cleanse us and make us righteous before you, Father. That there would be no boundaries set before us now, Father. That the enemy would be bound and cast far from here, Father. And that your spirit would interpret these truths unto our hearts, Father God. And Lord, your spirit would convict us of the things that need to change, the maturity that needs to happen within our hearts and our actions and our deeds, Father. Lord, we look to you, Lord God, for the teacher, to be the teacher of everything that we need to be taught, Lord. And so this morning, as we enter into this time of, of spiritual battle, Lord, we look to you to provide all that we need to battle the enemy, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 2, if you're there, we'll read verse 1 through 2. I better get there. Paul writes to Timothy in verse 1, and he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul encourages Timothy to be strengthened. The New King James uses the word be strong in the grace. But not just strong as a man at heart or physically strong, but be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. For we have grace, we should have grace to fellow believers, those that are sitting next to you on your right and your left. A lot of times people come to the church expecting a perfect setting with perfect people, doing perfect things, acting in a perfect way. How nice does that sound, right? But what church is perfect in all aspects? There's not one. Many of us know that none of us is perfect. We all fall short when it comes to perfection. And in fact, I would say most of us know, myself included, that we are nowhere near the mark of perfection. If we're honest with ourselves, we're downright sinners, aren't we? Sinners in need of a Savior. We are not without sin. The Bible says in Romans... Chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is only by his grace that we have been redeemed. We all have fallen short, we all have sinned, and we have received that grace. So the Bible calls us out, right, on the, on the mat, we're, we're, we're put out there. All of us have sinned. We have all fallen short. If it, and if it weren't for God's grace, his unmerited favor upon us, the gift of all, the ultimate gift of salvation to us, we would be lost forever. Unfortunately, our sin nature, although we are saved and being sanctified, is still affecting us on a regular basis. So the church is not perfect. Paul understood this as he wrote to Timothy, that we would need to be strong in the grace. That is, we are to pour out grace upon all within the church. Do we deserve the grace? No, we do not. 
yet God gave us grace. And so too, to our brothers, to our sisters around us, we are to show grace, that grace that Paul instructed Timothy on, to remember the church of Ephesus during this time was dealing with a lot of sin within the church. Remember, uh, I'm sorry, Timothy, Paul instructed Timothy to remember Paul was telling Timothy not to overlook the sin within the church as we should never overlook sin or allow it to exist within the church or our lives. However, we should have grace enough with each other that we can deal with the sin in a proper manner to forgive each other and the lives and live lives that are examples of who Christ is in us. So that sister that gave you the evil stink eye from across the, the fellowship hall, you're to forgive her. Or that brother that walked in this morning and walked right past you and you didn't even shake your hand or acknowledge you. Have grace. Have forgiveness with them. This is what Paul was instructing Timothy on when he instructed him to be strong in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love how Paul considers Timothy a son. Did you catch that? As he says in verse 1, You therefore, my child, be strong in the grace. This shows the heart of Paul for those that he raised up in the faith. Those that God chose to put under him as his, as his spiritual responsibility. You know, pastor likes to quote this verse out of 3 John chapter 1, verse 3. And you all probably know it in your head already because it's been ingrained in us, right? For I have no greater... I'm sorry. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified of your truth as indeed you were walking in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Paul's heart was that of John's heart. He had great joy when he heard how Timothy was doing and how he encouraged him, how he encouraged his son to be faithful. He loved hearing the good reports, as we here in the church love hearing good reports of what God is doing in your lives as fellow believers. Paul writes to his son Timothy to remember the things that he instructed him on, all the teachings that Paul gave, all the time that was spent as Paul and Timothy walked through the countryside, as Paul ministered to the people in the various cities that they visited, and he set up leaders in the churches that he planted. Paul instructs Timothy to remember these things and to commit them, to teach them to other faithful men within the church, those who will be able to also in turn teach those who are under their care. He tells Timothy to remember my example and to follow it as you are ministering and building the church. So too, we as present day believers can also remember the example that Paul gave, that Timothy gave, and the example that we see in the leaders in the church today that we would emulate those in our walk. That the scriptures that are being professed, that the the things that are being said would be ingrained in our minds that we then would share them with others when the need arises, when the Spirit moves for us to share. 
that we would be prepared for those good works. Verse 3 says, share in the sufferings. So Paul says, share in the sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Enduring hardships, something we all love doing, right? Anybody endure any hardships this morning in getting here to church, right? That cough, that cold, the kids screaming and yelling, going like this on the back seat, stop it, right? Enduring those hardships. Car won't start, you got a flat tire in the morning. The enemy is trying to keep you from hearing the word of God. Paul says to Timothy, endure these hardships, Timothy. Don't give up. Be strengthened in them. We are to endure them as Paul, use, what a, as Paul instructs them. And Paul uses this visual tutor here for us as one who is listed, enlisted in a military application. At this time, the Roman army had taken over and was occupied the very ground that they walked on. It was very common to see a Roman soldier on the streets. And Timothy would understand what Paul was trying to relay to him when he used this example. You too have been recruited. When we lay down our lives to serve Jesus Christ, he recruits us not only into his family, but into his army. As soldiers, to do his bidding, to work in his kingdom, to build it, to secure it. We have been drafted into his army as little Christian soldiers for him. And as any great soldier, a soldier of great value, we should not entangle ourselves with any other aspects of life. A soldier in the, middle, in the middle of warfare on a battlefield must keep his mind on the battle. For if his mind or his desires are on other things, he will be cut down. The battle will be lost. We too must keep our minds on and our bodies engaged in spiritual battle that is set before us. As Christians, our goal should be to build the kingdom of God to advance under his banner and not our own. How might we do that if we are not here on Sundays, on Wednesday nights, if we are not regrouping, if we are not strategizing with one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, building those bonds as soldiers for the Lord? You see, no one soldier ever won a war on his own. But it was a soldier standing shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield with one another, that was able to be victorious in the most violent of battles. I would encourage you, Christian, we have to focus, we have to keep our minds focused, our actions focused on serving the Lord, to commit to Him, not only in words as some do but in actions, surrendering our lives to him, to his will, to his desires. For no one engaged, that is, in the action, in the moment, no one engaged 
in warfare entangles him in the, the affairs of this life, that he may please the one who enlisted him. Our desire as we are believers in Christ, as we have confessed him with our words, as we have given him our hearts, our desire should not be for the things of this life, for our, our, our jobs, our careers, our homes, the things personally that are affecting us. Our desire should be to please him, to, give, to be soldiers for him, and he will take care of all the rest, as it says in Matthew chapter 6. Let's read on in verse 5. Paul goes on to say, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul uses two more visual illustrations to relay his message to Timothy here. The second is of an athlete, something that the people would understand and relate to. As an athlete in a sport, you're required to follow the rules, aren't you? The rules that are laid down and created by those that shaped and created the sport. The athlete does not get to make up his own rules, but has to adhere to the governing authorities of that sport. If he deviates from the rules, he will be disqualified, unable to finish. There will be no reward. There will be no crown. There will be no recognition of his finishing. You know, I played tennis in high school. Anybody play tennis? Enjoy tennis? Yeah? A lot of rules, right? A lot of regulations in the sport of tennis. I couldn't just go up to the net and serve from the net. Right? I had to stand back in the little area that was designed for service. Wouldn't it benefit me? Wouldn't it be easy for me to go up and stand at the net and serve and win the game? Of course it would. It would give me a tactical advantage. But it's not according to the rules. Can you imagine? You've all seen track, uh, track and field, right? Runners that do the 100-yard and the 500-yard sprint and the, the, the long-distance cross-country runs? Can you imagine the runner steps up to the block as he is in line with the rest of the runners? And the gun goes off, bang, and all the runners start running, and that one runner that's starting to follow behind, all of a sudden he makes that left-hand turn, cuts clear across the field, gets to the finish line and runs across first. Was he victorious? Does he receive the crown? No, he does not, because he didn't follow the rules that were set down, the regulations that were set in place. It's silly for us to be talking like that, right? To expect that. But yet some believers believe that they can go outside of the rules and the bounds that the Lord God has set before us, that they can live their spiritual life. They can be that spiritual athlete doing what they desire to do and not adhering to the rules that God has laid down for their spiritual walk. The same thing goes for Christianity. We as believers have been given a set of rules. The first two is to acknowledge that we are in need of a Savior and to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. The second is to serve Him and be obedient to His rules, the laws that have been given by the Creator of heaven and earth. 
We do not get to make up our own rules. And we do not get to deviate from the rules that he has made. For if we do, we disqualify ourselves. Paul was also encouraging Timothy and reminding the men to continue in the faith, to always remember the law and to finish well in order to receive that crown. His third visual illustration is that of a farmer. What a great illustration this was for Paul to use to minister the gospel to others. A farmer needs to have many characteristics in order to be successful in producing food. Anybody ever plant anything? I know we had a a little church group here uh, last year as the summertime was coming about. We all gathered together and we all talked about things we were going to be planting in the ground. And, you know, we were part of that. And it was amazing to see. We, We planted it and it's like nothing. Nothing. Weeks gone by. Nothing. Anybody have anything? We would have a text thread. No, nothing yet. And then all of a sudden that first little seed would pop. Boop. Somebody would send a picture of it. Oh, it popped. It's here, right? But there was patience. We had to have patience. He needs to have the knowledge of what he is producing. He needs to have that patience because when you first plant that seed in the ground, nothing happens for weeks. He needs to have faith that God is causing that seed to sprout and grow, even though he cannot see it. The farmer needs to be unwilling to give up no matter how hard it gets. You see, no matter what happens, the farmer needs to take care of the crop from the very preparing of the soil to the reaping of the harvest. It all befalls upon the farmer. He cannot give up. And so too, Christian believers, especially leaders in the church, we must have the knowledge of God's word and how to share it effectively. We must have the patience needed to endure with one another, knowing how to cultivate good relationships and weeding out things that are not productive in our lives, that could even cause damage in one another's lives. We need to have the faith that God is doing the work in all of our lives and that one day, if we do not give up, we will reap a plentiful harvest. The believer must, not, must be willing to not give up, be steadfast and movable as believers, not jumping ship at the first sign of a storm, not being one foot in and one foot out, ready to go out the door the minute hardships come. We must, we must contend, we must stay faithful and steadfast. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And it's up there on the screen. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work. That word steadfast is not moving. You're, you're going in a direction and you are heading there no matter what comes against you. No matter what is going to be hitting you, you're going to be moving in that direction. Immovable. Nothing can change that. You will not move from that position God has called you from. Always abounding. Oh, abounding. Taking ground for the Lord from one moment to the next. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The things that we do for God are not forgotten. The world may not see them. Your brother, your sister may not see what you do for them. But the Lord knows. And it will never be forgotten. 
We need to stay steadfast as believers. And Paul was instructing Timothy in these very things with these visual illustrations of what a believer needs to have in order to be mature. Paul had the confidence that in Timothy, not only would he understand if he did not, as long as he sought the Lord, that he would receive that understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit, as it says in verse 7. And likewise, church, you may not understand everything that you are hearing. You may not understand everything that you read from God's word, but in due time, the Holy Spirit will reveal the truths to you if you diligently seek him and focus in on him. If you continually to search for truth, he will reveal it. As Paul instructed Timothy here, continue on. Don't get discouraged if you don't know what's going on. Keep your eyes upon the Lord. He goes on in verse 8 through 13. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the world, I'm sorry, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is a reminder for us. Remember why you are here, Christian. Do not be overwhelmed with your circumstances, for they do not dictate who you are or your status in God's kingdom. We are to remember that everything we do is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ whether we are like Paul bound in prison or we are free, our thoughts, our intents should be to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at that time, Paul was, in the time Paul was writing to Timothy, he was being held in prison, as he states in verse 9, that he was being charged as a criminal for professing Jesus Christ. How far are we willing to go? as believers, to profess, profess Christ Jesus to a dying world, Paul was willing to go to prison. And he did for the sake of you and me. He says, for the elect, he is bound in chains, these physical chains. He was unwilling to move steadfast in what he believed in. As I look at the Christian church, I question myself sometimes when professing believers are not even to commit to being in the fellowship with the other believers on a regular basis. When Sundays and Wednesdays come around, there are seats that are open that could and should be filled. When believers neglect prayer meetings, gathers, gathering together, when the week of prayer and fasting goes with just half of the membership in the church, I wonder, are we willing to give up all as Paul gave up, even his freedom to testify of the work of the Lord? I question that. 
Because if we're not willing to give up in a time when we are free, how can we profess Christ under the the fear of persecution, the fear of imprisonment, when times do get tough and the world does come down upon us? How can we stand steadfast, immovable when those forces come against us if we can't do it while we're free? I am speaking today to you, church, those of you that are sitting here. Some have abstained from the chains of Christ when it doesn't suit well. Some have not completely died to self. That old man is still alive and controlling actions and movements. The Apostle Paul was fully sold out to spread the gospel. He was not living a free life. But he was a prisoner, not necessarily of Rome, although he was in the chains of the Roman soldiers, but he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Church, it is said out of love and not condemnation, for we know those believers that are fully committed. We know the goodness of the Lord. We know his faithfulness to those that give their whole lives in service to him. Their lives are dedicated and available for the Lord to to use every day, every opportunity, every moment is taken up. And Paul instructs Timothy here that he is to remind the believers that they are to endure every hardship, everything for the sake of the church. Verse 11 confirms that the common churchgoer today is not truly understanding of the gospel professing Christ as their Lord and Savior, but denying His power and abstaining and being disobedient to His Word, which commands us not to forsake gathering together with the true believers. Church, it is time for, mature, for spiritual maturity to come upon us. It is time for us to grow up spiritually. It is time for us to die to ourselves and live for Christ. For we choose, for if we choose to live our lives as we desire, then we are no different than the world, making up our own rules, choosing our own directions, working outside the laws of God. We have made ourselves God. If we say, Lord, I will not then he truly is not our Lord and God. Church, let's get real. Let's stop pretending that we must die to to ourselves, we must live for him, or we cannot call him Lord and Master. For if, as it says, for if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's move on in verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words which does does no good, but only ruins the hearer. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth but avoid irreverent babble, 
for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. A worker approved by God, not only, not, sorry, let me start over with that. A worker approved by God is not bound up by arguing and fighting. We are charged. I love that word charged, right? We are commanded. We're given orders. We're given instructions to follow. Paul says, Timothy, charge them with this. Do not be quarrelsome. Do not quarrel about things that do no good. These quarrels can cause division within the body of Christ. They are meaningless. They spread like gangrene, the word says, like cancer throughout the church. Groups are formed, sides are picked. The enemy has entered the camp. Where do quarrels come from? Do they not come from the selfish heart? James says in 4, 1 through 4. What, are the, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You have, or sorry, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spread it upon your own passions. That is where quarrels come from, from the selfishness of our hearts. James goes on to call the people adulterous, for they are not committed in their dedication to Christ. They are selfish, committed to their own selves and their own desires. Instead of putting one another first before them as we are called to do. They are not bound in obedience to God, but they serve themselves. We are commanded to put aside our own selfish hearts as we commune with one another, thinking more highly of each other than we do ourselves, not getting into these foolish arguments about matters that truly make no difference in the church. Now, let me be clear, because I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about doctrinal truths. Apologetics is alive and well in the church and should be. Even Jesus and the apostles argued against the religious leaders about the truths of God's word. Here we even have an example of Paul calling out Timaeus and Philetus, standing against them for, for spreading fake news. Do you get that? Fake news? Big thing? Fake news. Watch out for the fake news, church. There's a lot going on around right now. We are to correct. We are to call out false doctrine within the church, within the body of Christ. But we are not to argue about vain things that don't make a difference. We are talking about vain arguments here. We need to abstain from these as believers because they only bring a bad light to Christ. 
Those that hear the arguments from the outside are perplexed because we as believers profess what? Peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, fruits of the Spirit. And yet we are arguing about things that truly do not matter. The world is perplexed by the arguments that the church has within it. Let it not be so. Paul says it only ruins the hearer. We do not need to get all hot and heavy about those problems, those that cause the problems. Those that are seeking division, we, those that bring accusations against us, that want to argue and fight and quarrel, we need to leave it alone and not engage in that. We need to deal with it in a righteous way. We confront it, but we do not allow it to drag us out into a dirty, mudslinging event within the church. For that only dirties the church. Because God's firm foundation stands as it says. No words can change that. The Lord knows those who are his. We must separate ourselves from all iniquity and vain idols, idling and babble. And focus on the things that truly matter, spreading the gospel. Saving lives, redeeming people, bringing them to Jesus. Not whether the walls should be a lighter shade of white or the carpet doesn't match the chairs. Or the tables need to be arranged like this and not like that. None of that matters. What matters is bringing people into the throne room of God. Those are the things that matter. Let us avoid all of the other things. For they just bring a bad light to the church. Verse 20 and 21 says, Therefore, I'm sorry, now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honor, honorable use, set apart as holy useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. There are many vessels in a house, right? We all can attest to that. We all live in some sort of house structure, whether it be a home or an apartment or just a room. There are many vessels in there. We have, what, TVs, computers, cups, chairs, sinks, faucets, toilets, showers, Many vessels. Verse 20 says that this is not only a normal house. It's not just your average home, but it says that it's a great house, right? Paul uses that word great house. Now that word I looked up in the Greek, great is the word megas. It means things esteemed highly for their importance of great weight, things to be esteemed for its excellence and splendor, prepared on a grand scale. This was a great house that Paul was instructing him on. It wasn't your average home. He relates this house to the church as people. He speaks of vessels of silver, of high value in this house that are used at feasts, to honor certain guests or certain occasions. 
He speaks of vessels of wood and clay, which are less value than gold and silver. And he speaks of vessels that would be used for honorable circumstances and vessels that would be used for less than honorable circumstances. We are all vessels in the kingdom of God. Are you seeing that picture, that relation? We are all vessels used by the master. The question is, what type of vessels are we? Are we vessels of dishonor used by servants to discard trash and waste and things that aren't normally spoken of? Or are we vessels used by the master for honorable actions and deeds? Can God use us in his great kingdom? Are we used as vessels of honor to share his son with the world? Church, let us be vessels of honor. Now, if you find yourself that you can't say that I've been used as a vessel of honor to the Lord. If you find yourself in that category, note this, change can happen. Change can be made. That if you profess your, yourself to Jesus Christ and profess that he is your Lord and Savior, you will be removed out of that category of a vessel of dishonor, not useful in the kingdom. And you will be put into the vessel of honor, useful for God's kingdom. It is possible, it is not only possible, but it is required for us as believers to live lives that are honorable. Let us cleanse ourselves from the latter and live lives useful to God. So we cleanse ourselves. How do we become vessels of honor? Verse 22 through 24 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who are called on the who call on the lord from a pure heart having nothing to do with foolish ignorant controversies you know that they breed quarrels and the lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil you flee youthful lust, Paul says, in order to become a vessel of honor. The New King James uh, uses the word lust there. Even though here in the ESV we use youthful passions, King James used youthful lust. You all remember what it's like, don't you, to be young? Right? Think back a little bit. Some have to think back a little more than others. To be young again. Our heads were in the clouds weren't they? Some wanted to be actors. Some wanted to be movie stars, firefighters, astronauts, archaeologists. Those are all good desires. But Paul is talking about youthful passions and lusts here before we grew up. But sad to say, some believers still struggle these days with these youthful, youthful lusts and desires. Church, if we want to be mature believers, set aside for good works, we must, must put away the youthful lusts and desires and grow up. That is what Paul is saying. Mature, get your head out of the clouds. No time for daydreaming. 
We have work to do. We must flee these youthful lusts of our life. For they derail us. They put us on a sidetrack. They take our eyes off of what we should be focusing on. We get wrapped up in quarrels and controversies. We no longer are useful for spreading the gospel. We become vessels of dishonor, disqualifying ourselves for the service of the Lord. Verse 25 and 26 says, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let it not be so among us, church. Let refuge be known as a church of spiritual maturity, not quarrelsome or controversial for controversy's sake, but patient, graceful, conquering our opponents with gentleness and grace and revealing to them spiritual truths from the word of God that they might be saved from the snare of the enemy, the devil who has captured them in chains. Let our conduct as believers snatch people from the pit of hell. Let us as believers, let that be our our passion. Let that be our heart here as Paul closes up with Timothy. Let that be our passion, guys, as, as believers. Those that come through the doors, let our desire be to save them, to save their souls, and to snatch them out of the enemy's hand, that they may too know what it is to be a vessel of honor. I'll close up with this going back to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 2. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person? which is in him. So also no one knows or comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of whom is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Church, some very spiritual things have been taught this morning. And as we close up, if the Lord has convicted you, I don't know everyone's heart here. don't know if you're truly a believer or not, but we always want to give opportunity. If the Spirit has convicted you this morning, that you need to get your life right with the Lord. If you desire to move from that position of dishonor to the position of honor for the Lord and used by Him more, we want to give you the opportunity this morning. If you simply need to confess Jesus as your Savior and your Lord and live lives that prove it, I want to give you the opportunity this morning. If you simply need to confess some sin, and you desire, you have a deep desire to, to do more for the Lord, to be more than you are now, 
I want to give you also the opportunity this morning as the worship team comes up and plays this last song. Myself and Pastor and Stephen will be up here. And if you desire any of those things, if the Spirit has moved within you, I want to give you the opportunity. Come up and receive some prayer this morning. And watch the Lord change your life. Watch Him reshape you and mold you into what He desires for you to be. And so that opportunity is set before you this morning. As we close our eyes and pray, the worship team will come up and continue in worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Father, I desire more from you, Father. I desire to be used more by you, Father. Desire to be be poured out, Father, as a love offering unto you, Father, to be shared by others, Lord. And I, too, hope that my brothers here and my sisters here desire the very same things, Father. Lord, I'm tired of living a life of compromise to the flesh. Lord, I desire to live for you and you alone, Lord. Lord, I pray this morning that your spirit has moved and convicted our hearts, that we would have action behind our words, that we would not just say and confess that you are our God, but that our actions would prove it, Father. That we would be more committed today as we walk out these doors than we have ever been committed before, Father. And so, Lord, to you be the glory this morning. For you have done the work, and you will do the work in our lives, Father. And we thank you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.